Tony Cancellosi is CEO of the Columbia Lighthouse for the Blind. Until recently, the lighthouse was an old-school nonprofit on its way down. Today, it is emerging as a powerhouse in Washington, D.C., providing independence to the visually impaired. Tony has used his 30-plus years in the private sector to turn the lighthouse around, and he will tell us how he did it. I am Seth Kahn, and this is Getting Innovation Right. used a live chat while ordering from a catalog company, you've used technology that Cancelosi developed as CEO of Estara. He also served as COO of Key Systems, which you may recognize as Sylvan Learning, now a public company. Tony has taken his successes in the private sector and put them to work here at the Columbia Lighthouse for the Blind, which helps the visually impaired stay independent. You can find the lighthouse on the web at clb.org. I've known Tony for over three years, worked closely with him on strategy, and I've seen the innovations that he's put in place, which include, among other things, the transformation of his board, uh, bringing business clarity, uh, business smarts into a nonprofit organization, a wonderful veterans program called Bridge to Work, uh, grant acquisition, his staff are just a, a grant acquiring machine, uh, marketing, he's, he's spearheaded new marketing initiatives, which are fantastic success, and essentially changing the game for this nonprofit, which was a very old school style organization on its way out, it's over 100 years old, and turned it into an aggressive, business savvy force for good in the world. So here we are with Tony, and he's going to talk to us about how he's worked the miracles he has. Let's go back to the beginning, when you first came to Columbia Lighthouse for the Blind. There was a lot of work to do. How did you decide where to start? Every organization runs by the financials and the cash flow of the organization. So the first thing I did was internal controls. I wanted to look at everything financially about the organization, how we, how we bought things, how we paid our bills, how the cash came in, so I did a complete analysis of all of our internal controls and created controls within the organization. And what did you tackle first based on what you found? Uh, first thing was that we didn't have the right accounting system. We didn't have the right accounting firm. Uh, we didn't have the right uh, insurance. Uh, so one by one, we fired everybody <laughs> <laughs> and brought all new faces into the equation. And we analyzed how we were being paid by the government, how we were being paid by our grants, and, and corrected them so that we would be paid on time. So looking at every aspect of cash in and cash out, which was essential. Then I could look at the people and look at the programs and look at how we needed to serve and what our mission was. We had to change our mission. The one thing we could not do was take away the programs from serving our community. So we made that a priority. So we now had to evaluate the people that were providing the services. And there we found deficiencies. So now we had to let some people go, but we brought in people with better and more experience to serve more effectively. So the non-negotiable were the programs and services that you provide to the visually exactly. impaired. Right. And one of the one of the uh, places where you uh, did transformation was with your board. You transformed your board, and you really in a second wave with your board. Your first board right. 
was designed to pull you out of the nosedive? Well, every board has bylaws, governance, term limits, and no one was paying attention to that. No conflicts of interest, no confidentiality agreements, and even though you're a nonprofit, you're being held accountable because people are giving you money and donations, and you have to use that money to serve. And board needs to take on that same responsibility. The strategic planning side, the financial side, and more importantly, a cohesive relationship with the management. But understand what their roles are. And they have to grade themselves. And so it was very clear there were people on the board that had been here 10, 15 years, 20 years. And I approached them in a professional way to say, your service has been invaluable, but we have to comply to governance and the bylaws, or else we're out of compliance. And, and we're subject to all kinds of issues from the government, from the IRS. So it made good sense for them to resign. And you brought in a crack team. Brought in a much smaller team of individuals to address the core competencies of the organization. Financial, strategic, government, marketing. To address what we do and how we do it as an organization. And as that group really began to get their nails dirty and going through the, the soil of the organization, if you will, you also created an advisory board, a separate yes, body, right. which has its own unique energy. I know because I served on it for over a year. Right. Well, that was created primarily because we had taken an 18-person board down to a 7-person board. And they were working at the skill that they were brought in for to guide us but not having the flexibility to go out and do a lot more fundraising, uh, marketing, and so forth. So creating a non-fiduciary board and invite people from the community, now I call it, and John Tidings had called it, people of influence. Bring them in together to buy into our mission and then have them become evangelized and evangelized for us. And, and But also... It became a huge networking among people who, in the community. And the energy is really electric at the advisory board yes, meetings, yes, which I absolutely. still attend. Absolutely. Uh, it, and, and the advisory board, I think you could credit them also with the success of your first Light the Way 5K. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, also the success of more people being aware of what we do and why we do it. And they are part of the community that we serve. You, you have uh, veterans in the D.C. business community. You right. have uh, people in academia. Right. Uh, you have uh, thought leaders. You have, uh, you have management consultants. You have communications experts. I mean, right. uh, you, there must be 35 or so people on this there advisory board. There are 37 people. And, and you have real uh, stalwarts and veterans of, of the business community. I mean, you have highly respected people right. mixed in with young people with a lot yes, of energy. exactly. Yeah, we do. And it, it, what, 
What's encouraging about that is that there's always a great exchange over lunch. Not just about CLB, but about what they're doing. Yes. Which is, I think, fascinating from an advisory board standpoint that that there's no one getting on their soapbox. They're all chipping in based on the issues and how we do things and why we do it. And I think they like hearing from us, to be part of it. So, so going back to that first board, when... I'm thinking about your your history, your chronology with the organization. When did you really start taking the veterans program seriously? Tell me how that came about. The veterans program really became a major issue with the kind of conflict that we're having. Uh, Roadside bombs, um, soldiers being wounded in a way that head trauma was the major reason for their injury and by that kind of injury there was all kinds of things that would go wrong and sight was one of them so 17% of the veterans there were 46,000 veterans wounded so far 17% of them are vision impaired and blind and also because of the aging population that we're faced with 77 million people that are baby boomers if you look at the veteran population from Desert Storm to Vietnam to Korea to World War II, because of the aging process, a lot of veterans are losing their sight. And if you took Desert Storm, where there were some issues there, so you got veterans in their 40s losing their sight, still could be working age. Even Vietnam veterans can be working age. The working age now is now... 18 to 68. So, so there's more people working, especially in this economy. But, but you created Bridge to Work. Yes. Talk about that. Well, one of the things that was quite clear uh, is that we've enlisted many veterans to go and fight in these conflicts. More than half are reservists. These are young men and women who have been working in the workplace, a little bit older than the 18 or 19-year-old joining the Marine Corps. Uh, These could be individuals 23, 24, 25, in some cases a little bit older, um, leaving their job to go serve. And in most cases, it served more than one tour of duty. Uh, But these are individuals that will come back and need a job. Who was going to give them a job in this economy? So they could be coming back, become homeless, and not get jobs. So we said, hey, we've got a program called Digital Data Scanning, where we scan documents for federal agencies. Why not take that, do an analysis? And the analysis was that someone visually impaired and blind, there were three kinds of job categories they can get into. We built that. And we said, this could be a bridge to work for a veteran. And when we started to analyze the numbers of veterans, there's 156,000 visually impaired and blind veterans in the United States. And if you break it down to this region, there's more than 13,000. So when you break that down into the working age and the number of injuries that were occurring, 
there's a lot of unemployed, visually impaired, and blind veterans. So by taking the demographics and saying the numbers are huge, we have to do something about it. And utilizing our government contracting vehicles and our government contracts and with the mandate by the President of the United States, hire veterans, now hire visually impaired and blind veterans. Well, there's a, there's a lot of programs that will train a veteran, but you were able to do something special, which is that you were able to get involved in the placement. Absolutely. But fortunately, we were able to convince this region, Montgomery County, Prince George's County, Fairfax County, and the district, to have the first regional veteran program for the visually impaired and blind, which we created. And it started through a grant that we got, a BRAC grant, and that was the relocation of Bethesda Naval and um, Walter Reed. And so by that, we created Bridge to Work. Wow, wow. So Bridge to Work, to me, is an example of an innovation. You look back on it, you can say, this was the right. This was a smart move. You did a good job with your competitive intelligence, understanding the trends in the market, did a move. But it was also something that captured your heart. I've watched you speak about it many times, right. and I can see how deeply you care about this program. Uh, and you created this, these, these grant. you wrote these grants that were then accepted, and you turned Columbia Lighthouse for the Blind into a grant-writing machine. I mean, this organization... You've won millions of dollars in grants, and many of them in multi-year contracts. Tell me about that. That's a real innovation. That's a difference from the old Columbia Lighthouse for the Blind. Absolutely. Well, most every county receives money for grants, um, both federal and state, and even in their own county budgets. And there's all kinds of opportunities and you have to go and find those opportunities that fit the service that you want to provide in the community. But it also goes back to what we did with Bridge to Work. Where's the need? Where's the size of this? If you look at Montgomery County, there's more than 1.1 million people who are considered seniors and people with disabilities. You go into Fairfax County, it's similar. You go into Prince George's County, it's similar. The similarity of, of what the issue is is a regional thing. It's just not one county. So when you look at the need and you can identify the need and identify the numbers of people, so the key here is you've got to go out and do the research. You just can't go and apply for a grant without giving them the information and say, this, this is the need and, and if most of the and let's say this, most of the counties know what the need is. So when you come up with and responding to a grant proposal and you have the demographics, it fits into it. And the nice thing about it is we've competed for these and we've won. And they're multi-year contracts. We are just now finishing... Um, where we have been certified as a certified trainer in Montgomery County, actually in the state of Maryland. Uh, we just got paperwork I'm signing now. And in Fairfax and Prince George's County. So we have shown that we have the credentials 
to perform the work. And this is one of the things that we are now insisting on when we are going to bid on a contract, that if we see something that's put out there and does not say, do you have the qualifications and certification to perform this job? Make everybody accountable to that. So over the last two years, three years, we've been building a staff of certifiable people that when you look at their credentials, we meet that qualification. So it's meeting the need and the size of the need, but also meeting it with the qualified people to perform that service. So take that. Couple that now with the business savvy, the basics that you talked about, and the willingness to make hard decisions and tighten your belt where you need to while you stay true to the mission. And add to that a sophisticated marketing program. Your marketing has just been out of the box. You Last year, you did your first Light the Way 5K. Uh, I was in meetings with uh, other CEOs where I heard people say, you'll be lucky to break even. You, you know, we did this. We made $5,000 the first time. It was hell. We, we worked our tails off. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. You got an $80,000 profit, and you emerged with now Mark Lerner, sponsoring from the Washington Nationals, and Steve Niebergall, president of Safeway here in Washington, D.C., co-sponsoring your next Light the Way 5K. I mean, this is stellar. How to Talk to me about your marketing and what you're doing there. Help me understand. Well, I think when you go back to how people need to understand what your mission is and what your goals are, again, it goes back to how deep the situation is. To me, blindness is becoming a chronic disease because of the aging population, because of obesity, because of diabetes. We have more people projected to lose their sight than ever before. And when you present that case to people and you want to bring out that community into an event we captured people's attention. And beside that, we found an individual who was a marathon runner, who was blind, and when we got introduced to him, he opened up a whole new world for some of the people that are visually impaired and blind to become active and get out into the community and be a runner. So we had some very special ingredients and these things just fall into place if you have the right ingredients. It's like, hey, if we're going to make some, a cake, if I don't, I can't make it without the eggs. Maybe I can't, I don't know. But you know, So you've got to really have the ingredients. And Charlie, the guy you're referring to, Charlie, is it Plaskin? Plaskin. Plaskin. Just an amazing guy. I mean, yeah. he's not just a marathon runner. He runs multiple marathons back to back. Back to back. He's an exceptional human being, very humble. Yes. Um, but when you get around him, he's like a catalyst. He, like, moves you into another level of performance. Exactly. Right. Um, and he's 69 years old. He's and he's 69, 69 years old. <laughs> so, but when you get back to the marketing side of it, it's presenting the facts. And then around that, you're putting the other things 
that can be done with it in the sense of how many more people we can serve, how many more people we can um, give independence to. So I've had the good fortune of doing strategy work with you and sitting around this table here with your senior team or meeting with the communications leader. Um, Talk to me about that strategy work. And, you know, I've seen you look over the horizon and then ask the question, so what are the tactics that are going to get us from here to there? I think that that's a different approach that you brought into this organization that we're continuing to this day. Sure. Tell Tell me a little bit about yourself and the strategy. It's not just me. Um, I believe in bringing in people who have the intellect and the capacity to go beyond anything that we could imagine. Um, But it also, when we bring someone like you in and other board members that we have, it encourages the staff to see it's just not me. There's all of us. And that kind of gives us the ideas to kind of look beyond. Uh, Without them and you and the rest of the board, it's not going to work. You know, it's that thinking that refines it or asks us the next question. Well, how are you going to do that? Is that realistic? You know, you have to have that kind of interaction because one person just can't have that much on their plate without others kind of helping them. So you're convening. Uh, it's like you're creating a conflagration. You're, you're bringing in yeah. outside experts. You're bringing your staff together. You're getting people to think creatively. You're sparking. You're, and, and you're changing the dynamic from you, uh, right. you know, mandating your subordinates right. to uh, an inspiring workplace where people are saying, right. oh, my God, look at this. We could do it this way. Or here's an right. expert who can help us in this way. Well, it gets back to corporate formulation in the sense of how are you forming your organization to perform? Mm. You take the dynamics of, of, of marketing, you take the dynamics of programs, you take the dynamics of your board, and you can kind of literally put them on a Gantt chart and say, okay, board, staff, mission, management. And all of a sudden you're kind of drawing from each one, but it's this corporate formulating how it's all going to come together. I mean, we're far from being where we have to be. You know, where are we going to be the next five years? You know, it, that, the dynamics of the market of the visually impaired and blind is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, how are we going to address that? So it's becoming something that just not one person can do it. It's it's this corporate formulating of of all together. So I had the privilege of becoming involved with you when the organization was still going down. I, I went through the dip with you, right? right? I think I was on the advisory board then. Right, then right. you, as, as we started to come up, you brought me onto the board. And now you're in a place where the organization is growing, it's prospering, and you can ask questions like, what, how do we scale to sure. meet the need? Sure. So you're now looking at, with an organization that's alive and healthy, and even has potential beyond what you've created, how do right. we how do we provide independence to the visually impaired on a larger scale? Well, when we were down here, and I didn't ask you to be on the board until we got here, because I needed to really get the organization in a position where people could look at it 
and say, hey, you did go through this, but look, here's where you are now. And use the mind and the intellect and the power of those people now to take it from a positive. Because it was my responsibility to get it from the negative to a mutual point. We're not out of the woods yet. There's a lot more for us to do. You know, there's still things that we have to kind of put in place. And that's why we have the board and the advisory board. So it's getting to that next level. And because of the chronic disease component, we're going to have to team with people and organizations that jointly we get grants, jointly we can serve. Like I'm going on the Providence Hospital Foundation Board. And uh, one of the things in, at least in my mind and I think in their mind, is that this is beginning the beginning of a partnership because they have to handle the, the elderly every day. <clears throat> and some of them will be visually impaired and blind. They can work with them medically. What about their independence side? That's where we come in. So partnerships and integration of other organizations with us is, is the future. Because we just cannot be one entity. There's got to be multiple entities for us to integrate with each other. And there it is. A remarkable vision of the future. Multiple entities partnering and integrating to create a level of scale that's not possible with a single organization. My guest today has been Tony Cancellosi at the Columbia Lighthouse for the Blind. You can find him online at clb.org. I'm Seth Kahn. Thank you for joining us here on Getting Innovation Right.